This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we play security buzzword bingo with Nina's security team as we discuss the latest on tap 9.4 enhancements, GDPR, the mafia, and the dark web. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm in the studio here with the security team uh, of the PM and the TMEs and that sort of thing. Um, This is our quarterly security update. Uh, We like to talk about security every quarter because it is ever-changing and we like to keep people up to date. And to remind you that you should be securing your stuff. So... Um, without further ado, let's start with Juan Mojica. Hi, Juan. Hello, Justin. So what do you do here at NetApp? I'm the senior product manager in charge of security for ONTAP. I'm also in charge of networking, uh, the kernel. And I also talk about data privacy, GDPR in particular. Oh, yeah, that new thing. We'll have to talk about that a little bit here because uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of coming up on us now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Kind of. Well, <laughs> for most everybody, but especially Europe. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, also in the studio, Dan Tullidge. Hi. Hey, how's it going, Justin? Good, Dan. How are you doing? Good, good. So what do you do here at NetApp? Um, I'm Juan's partner in crime. I'm senior technical marketing engineer for ONTAP Security, and I deal with all the things that um, have to do with ONTAP Security, which includes multi-factor authentication, um, encryption at rest, encryption in flight, and just general security. All right. And last but not least... Mr. Andre Milton, hi. What's up, dude? What's up, man? How's it going? Good. So, uh, what do you do here at NetApp? That's a good question. <laughs> so, <laughs> I ask myself that every day, but go ahead. That's right. For a while, I've been the uh, security TME um, across the portfolio. So, as Dan spoke to, he's uh, specific to ONTAP, and then we cover the rest of the portfolio. Uh, and recently, I transitioned to the role as uh, security PM, so security product manager across the portfolio. Wow. So, you are a PM and TME? Which pretty much is yes, because wow, I haven't, there's no backfill. So that's impressive you do, you and also soul-crushing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Juan should know about this. Juan was acting TME slash PM for a while there. It's, right. it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, for both security <laughs> and networking. And, you know, th- those things aren't really important. You know, networking, <laughs> who needs it, right? You just really right. want a hot pa- paperweight, right, in so, your data center. Just use barbed wire. So what it was was, so you know how in college you go to the 101 classes, they're the weed-out classes for That's engineering, right. that sort of thing? We were trying to weed you out. <laughs> <laughs> but you passed. <laughs> oh, yeah. With flying colors. Uh, yeah, we'll keep him around. He's, he lasted this long. Right. Anyway, all right. So um, let's start off with the ONTAP 9.4 enhancements for security because there was a boatload of them. And uh, I was giving you props to Octavian, Juan, because you have driven a lot of enhancements within the ONTAP uh, suite here with the security pieces. So let's start off with um, Secure Purge because I think that's kind of the flagship one, right? Yeah. So Secure Purge is it, it, the reason it's a big deal. It's it's a storage industry first. Uh, I'll, I'll say that right now. I don't think any other storage vendor has this kind of capability. And, and the reason we're implementing it in our storage systems is because the new media, Flash in particular, it, it's a tricky media to make sure that you erase content on. So in particular, if you if you get a self-encrypting drive, you can erase everything on the drive by simply cycling the key. Okay, so that's quote-unquote, easy. But what if you only want to delete a particular portion within that drive? Because of the where leveling 
on the SSDs, you can actually tell it to overwrite a certain location on that drive, and it won't actually necessarily do it. And in fact, the government, like standards regulations or whatever, the certifications, uh, those standards basically say it's good enough to tell the drive to do something, whether or not it actually does it is outside of the scope of this certification, which is kind of bonkers bananas, right? And so what you want to do is you want to have a, a way of saying, hey, I want to just delete this particular file in this particular section of, of this drive and make sure that it's been uh, shredded. And so that's really what uh, Secure Perch does, is that we make sure that we have an encrypted NVE volume and we make sure that we copy all the good blocks over and leave the bad blocks, infected blocks, or blocks with, you know, personal data of a European citizen uh, left behind. Uh, fundamentally, we copy the good blocks over with a new key and then shred the old key. So what we assure is that we wait for all the garbage collection to happen on our system, right? We, you know, we're constantly cleaning up. We're constantly making sure that the system isn't copying bad blocks over. And then we copy all the data over. And then we have a new volume with just the good data. And bada boom, bada beam, you've cryptographically shredded just a one file within your drive without affecting the rest of uh, the system. And it's a totally online procedure. Uh, and it's good for data spillage, for USPS, um, for the public sector where, you know, you have a classified or a top secret uh, email end up in a secret location or, you know, an on-class location and they have to clean that stuff up. Well, now you have a cryptographic method to, to make sure that the system is sanitized as well as for the right of erasure uh, within the GDPR, within the EU general data protection regulation. There's the ability for a citizen to ask to have his data erased. And what most vendors and most companies are going to do is that they're going to go, hey, I'll issue the delete command on that particular file, and yes, your data is deleted. But technically, that drive can still have that data. And if there's a recovery procedure or a recovery event that needs to happen, all that data could bubble back up. And now you're no longer compliant. And so with Secure Purge is doing on that cluster is making sure goodbye to that person's data uh, so long you're not getting it back. We've cryptographically shredded it. So you have no, at that point, way of accidentally bringing it back onto that system. It kind of brings to mind those old TV shows where, like, you know, they'd catch somebody and they'd want to get into a door and the guy would just say, ha-ha, and he'd swallow the key. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, well, it's more like Mission Impossible. This this message will self-destruct. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably That's better because right. with the guy that swallows the key, you can just wait him out. That's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> or, or feed him something. Yeah. Here. Here's some dinner. Um, so as far as this, this uh, crypto shredding piece, I mean, not only is it a secure way of getting rid of files, but it's also a time saver, right? I mean, you've got these drives that you have to shred in most cases or, you know, com you know wipe completely that you now only have to get rid of a single file. So that's going to save administrators that are trying to get rid of things a lot of time, wouldn't it? I think so, too. You know, if, if we also have some new other features around the key management as well. Uh, if you're using the onboard key management, that will help 
administrators return systems or wipe systems completely. We have a feature called a protected controller reboot, where basically a passphrase is required to unlock any of the volumes within the system. Uh, and for NSE systems, it's required to unlock any of the drives. And so basically what happens is that system comes up and there's a prompt, and you have to enter in your passphrase. Without the proper passphrase, for NSE systems, the system just doesn't boot, and you have to reboot, and you have to try again. And, you know, that's like a three-minute, you know, it could be a somewhat of a lengthy process for that to all come back up. For NVE systems, uh, NVE-only systems, the system will begin to boot as normal, but then you'll notice all your encrypted volumes are offline. And so without that passphrase, nobody can have access to your system. So say you're leasing our equipment, right? You have it somewhere in your data center, and eventually you have some, you know, probably three-week procedure to wipe this stuff off on the system. You slap this protected controller reboot on there, and bada-bing, bada-boom, you send it to us. And without the passphrase, we don't have the passphrase. You have the passphrase. We can't do anything with that data. We can't, like, magically unlock it. There's no back door. There's nothing we can do. Uh, you have, you know, it is what it is, and you can just send the system back. And you've been watching a lot of Goodfellas lately? That's the second bada <laughs> yeah, bing, right, bada boom right. you dropped. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little just, confused. I'm a little worried. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm in the mafia. Some, nah. <laughs> I think the, the trans- security <laughs> mafia. Yeah. Translation yeah. there, don't call support when you, do, when you can't find your key, <laughs> yeah. your password. If you call in, Juan's going to come and break your kneecaps. <laughs> right. Bada bing, bada, bada boom. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned, so this is the UEFI boot? No, this this is just protected just controller, protected controller reboot, reboot, which basically gates the unlocking of the system of the unlocking of the encryption. Okay, so is there some sort of like option where you can configure where if you mistake the you know type the passphrase in incorrectly multiple times, it'll wipe it, kind of like the Apple iPhone piece. So for the self encrypting drives. Uh, they will have a maximum number of tries that you can try to unlock them. So if you do enter in the passphrase multiple times incorrectly and it tries to unlock it, those drives eventually will be locked and you're, you know, you're out of luck, you're SOL. With, uh, with the NVE system, the process of from starting up to complete boot is basically a, a fairly lengthy process to unlock those volumes. And by the time that you realize that those volumes aren't unlocked, it'll, t- uh, I forgot, uh, just years upon years upon, you know, uh, to even get close to to even being able to do anything with the system, basically. Okay, it's kind of like snap locked. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm doing something like an upgrade where I know I'm going to be rebooting the system, is there a way for me to toggle that off easily, or is that something that just stays on once I've enabled it? No, and so that's the that's the beauty of it. You can just slap it on when you need it and take it off when you when you don't have to use right. it. Right, so if I know I'm shipping some systems, I can just turn it on and then turn it off once it gets to the destination I want it. Exactly, and the, the non-disruptive, you don't have to decrypt anything. It's all protected. It's all encrypted. You just slap this extra feature on there for the time being, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, today's advice is ship the, the heads and the shelves separately, you know, so that you can't bring all that up. And so this solves that problem. And also, this also solves the problem of shipping a select on tap select system as well, because you can't separate the heads from the shelves with that. So I can't. What if I want to ship each individual disc? Would that be extra <laughs> you, secure? You, yeah, That'd be extra well, cost. <laughs> <laughs> 
If that's where I you want to go. I sent him with a, a courier with like a, a handcuffed briefcase. <laughs> right. Very secure. Very secure. See, I, I've got you. I'm giving you ideas here. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> bada Very. Bing, bada boom. <laughs> bada, bada bing, bada boom. So, Dan, what are you working on for ONTAP 9.4? For nine four, um, well, all the all the things that Juan had mentioned, I've I've covered in various collateral. I mean, there's you, there is do another. You know, do you know those by heart? The number of TR that we can reference here. I always test. Well, people. It's, um, I like to shame them. What's your TR number? Well, forty five forty six. Oh, is the bada bing bada boom. <laughs> is that's the MFA TR, and there has been a, a minor enhancement to MFA where we've added. Um, LDAP NIS as a another factor in the in the chain SSH um, authentication. So, okay, that's a that's an under the radar enhancement there. We didn't yeah. think about that too much. Yeah. So that's good. So but, what, what else are you working on? What else have you been working on for the uh, security enhancements for ONTAP nine four? Well, the, the other thing that's um, similar to what Juan just mentioned is the uh, storing of the keying material on a USB, which is a PVR only feature. Um, so um, we can. Um, store the key material on, on a USB, USB on, on every node. And if uh, this is used like in um, tactical deployment situations, um, and if you get compromised suddenly, pull out the USB keys. And swallow it, right? And swa- Well, if that, that seems to be your method of, of, of destroying things. So, yes, you can Infallible. swallow it. Infallible. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But there again, you have the retention period with that mechanism. So, so why is that yeah. PVR only right now? A couple of reasons. Uh, the main one being that it, there's new security standards that have been incorporated into the USB protocol, and we want to make sure those are incorporated. Uh, and so right now we're getting the functionality to you know select set of customers that really want to use it, uh, but they need to understand that caveat is that really that USB stick can be cloned, copied. Uh, and that content right now can just be used between USB sticks. So we want to make sure that that threat vector, that attack vector is understood. And once we can incorporate the, you know, the full authentication of the drive to the system, uh, then we have a better solution. I'm just waiting for new USB flavors. <laughs> right now it's cough syrup and it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we also are doing ONTAP validated images in 9.4. So, um, Dan, could you tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, um, in, in 9.3, actually, we at um, upgrade time, we were validating the image just at upgrade time. Um, in 9.4, we've introduced this um, UFI secure boot, which actually validates at every boot time to make sure we have genuine ONTAP um, that, that's coming up. And that's only on certain platforms, right? Could you tell us what platforms that's going to be enabled on? Um, it's the newer platforms on one. Do you the A two hundred? The A sorry, not two hundred. Eight hundred. Eight hundred. A also and the A two twenties. What about the FAS twenty seven hundred series and the FAS twenty seven hundred series? See, I, <laughs> I wanted to like lead you guys into that, and I, and I did that. <laughs> nice, nice job. Bada that. bing, bada <laughs> boom, bada boom. <laughs> All right, so what other enhancements have we added to ONTAP 9.4? I think we covered most of them. We have any more hidden nuggets like the LDAP NIS piece for MFA? or? Um, so one of the things, one of the misconceptions with MFA is that you can't use uh, CAT cards uh, with our MFA implementation. And Dan's getting ready to publish some content of how do you use for our government customers. How, do, how can you use your CAT card today with our MFA implementation? Uh, yeah. For both SSH and 
uh, or SAML-based web access. That should be pretty straightforward, right? I mean, it just ties into the existing systems, and we're just kind of a destination, right? I mean, that shouldn't be too... Is it is it kind yeah, of crazy to do? Or? Well, it's it's a matter of what client you're using, and and there's two clients, um, the Putty, CAC, and and Secure CRT clients that we've uncovered that that can do this. We need a client that obviously needs to be able to read a CAC card, and and so that's a kind of important element about this. Yeah, but as far as an ONTAP side of things, I mean, we don't do anything special. There. No, it, it's public. It's public key, um, you know, access to the system. Yeah, I would just wanted to make sure that the folks out there knew that it, it is possible, and and Dan is going to uh, make that documentation available. Yeah, and I wanted people to know that it's it's not us that's the roadblock. <laughs> <laughs> we are not the roadblock. All right, uh, so I think we've covered everything in ONTAP 9.4 that there is to cover for security. I'm sure there's lots of good stuff coming for ONTAP next next release of ONTAP. I'm not allowed to say the number because nobody can figure it mm, out. Not allowed. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to bust you. No, well, <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, well, um, I, him and the mob. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so let's segue into what this means for things like GDPR. So uh, when is that GDPR functionality, when, when is the, the law regulation coming into effect? At the end of this month. So, so soon. So, May yeah. 25th. Like 10 days soon. <laughs> and, that's, and that's probably by the time this is already published. So yeah. now. Yeah. So May twenty fifth, if I'm not correct, that's, right. that's yep. uh, ten days. That Memorial a... Day. Almost. Yeah, that, that weekend. Yeah, it's gonna be kind of a fun time. Yeah, you'll enjoy. You're not your... supposed to white, wear white before Memorial Day. You're not supposed to enact GDPR before Memorial Day. Continue. That's right. So enjoy your weekend. Enjoy and your when weekend. You get back on Monday. Everything's yeah. gonna change. Everything's right. gonna change. <laughs> Everything's gonna be broken <laughs> because they've enacted the new security features. Juan, continue. No, so. <laughs> Really, it, it's going to take effect over the weekend, and so mm-hmm. Monday, like you said, is really... That's the best time to make a giant change <laughs> in the weekend. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> and so, uh, to give an analogy, I think it's going to be it's going to be a similar effect to SARS-Bain-Oxley. It's, it's pretty massive legislation, pretty massive regulation, and people are going to get used to operating in this new environment. I think uh, you mentioned in the beginning, talking about data breaches and whatnot... I think the Facebook Cambridge Analytica is kind of the the crux of what GDPR has meant to kind of wrap itself around and try to prevent. So let's take a step back. Why did they put GDPR in place in general? So in theory, you go to the gas station, you take the pump, you put the pump in uh, the, the handle thing in your car, and you fill your car up with gas. You're, you're trusting. It's the gas tank. It's the ga- Yes. <laughs> right. I'm an expert. Yeah, yep. Continue. Bing, boom. Uh, <laughs> and, and with that, what you have is, is you're trusting that company to actually provide gas and fuel to, to, uh, that actually works in your car, right? Unless you accidentally take the diesel and put it in your gas tank, then that's, that's your own problem. But there's, a, there's an implied level of trust in that transaction that you have with that company. And that's really what GDPR is, is trying to do with the digital marketplace. They're trying to enable a set of trust where the vendor can gather so much information about you, where you're going, what you're clicking on, what you're thinking about, uh, not necessarily to that level unless, you know, I wear my tinfoil hat, so well, I'm well, good. With, with Twitter nice. and Facebook, you, you practically do get that information. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm at the gas pump. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going potty. Yeah. So, so GDPR is meant to basically say, again, I'm not – and let me preface with this. I'm not a lawyer, but – 
But you can play one on TV. Yes. Uh, so with that, they are trying to make sure that that information that is being gathered on you cannot or won't be used against you in the future for any sort of purposes. So imagine you got sick. Imagine you got sick uh, with some life debilitating disease or something that potentially could pop up and then you try to change insurance for whatever reason they want to make sure that you're getting the same rights as other people are in that information for whatever you know whatever weird you know thing that happened to you or you broke your arm on accident whatever isn't used against you in the future uh negatively and so really it's building that trust that the system is there uh to protect you and your rights going forward which is great now, then, then there's the devils in the details. There's, uh, you know, 99 GDPR articles and, uh, and data privacy is throughout basically all of them. Um, people, I think most of the corporations are trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Uh, last, I heard a stat between uh, each corporation is trying to spend between one and two million dollars trying to deal with this. It really revolves about around establishing fundamentally what I believe is a data privacy framework. So GDPR is one very specific instance of data privacy uh, legislation that's happening around the world. But we are seeing stuff. Uh, I know, Andre, uh, you've been part of those emails within India, South Korea, uh, Australia, all kind of having GDPR-like qualities. GDPR just happens to be the high bar. Yeah. So what you start with is is a data privacy framework. How am I going to treat data? And ultimately, where is my data going? Where is it coming to? Uh, what am I using to protect it, the security piece of it, as well as the data protection piece of it, which, you know, uh, maintaining high availability and all that stuff. And lastly, how do I respond to auditor's requests? And with GDPR, how do I respond to user's request? I have 30, 30 days to respond to a user's request. And if I don't respond within that time frame, i got to say why I'm not responding to that time frame. I, I need to be able to satisfy that request within 30 days. And it's not only me, but it's also any of my supply chain that is used to create whatever digital assets I'm creating. So what you, what you really need to understand is your digital supply chain and make sure you have the SLAs in place with everybody handling the, the content because that 30 days starts when the user comes to you. Not when you gave that, not when you made that request to your supplier or whoever's processing your data for you. So it's really, I mean, there's a lot of stuff um, to think about with GDPR. Uh, it's something that I'm talking about regularly. I also think that there's this, um, I came up with a phrase. I, I think I came up with a phrase. I, I don't remember reading it anywhere else. <laughs> was, it, was it bada bing, bada boom? It wasn't bada bing, bada boom. Because you didn't come up with that. I, 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 <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. He's, he's clamming it. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. Um, it's really around just-in-time data. You want to make sure that the right person or the right process has that data for the right purpose at the right time and only for that time. And then after that, it can't be read, it can't be modified, it can't, you know, it can't be messed with so that you're protecting each individual user's data uh, correctly. So it's really about just-in-time. And I think uh, as the IT profession evolves – 
And as things become easier to use, I know simplicity is a huge push uh, across the board. I know we've made leaps and strides in making our systems as easy to use as possible. You start tackling higher level, higher order problems. And then really you start thinking as an IT organization, how do I deliver services? Well, services, uh, how do I deliver just service in general? Well, that's really a manufacturing kind of supply chain thing. And then you start applying those concepts, those principles, and then you really, uh, again, this is the extreme, but you have a very high-functioning, very well-old machine running at the end of the day. Not everybody's going to be there at the at the time. Uh, I think as long as you're taking steps to build in that infrastructure, understand that's potentially probably where you want to go, you start, start, start taking steps. It's just like security. It's it's this security nihilism that we encounter. Oh, it's not perfect, so we're not going to do anything. Oh, Great. Uh, you're never going to do anything. You know, a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So just start taking those steps. Uh, and you'll be further ahead than a lot of other companies. Um, I'm honestly afraid for some of the small municipalities, some of the city governments yep. that potentially have yep. uh, European citizen data. Uh, <laughs> and they have, they probably don't have the expertise that they need. And so, again, if I think you have your Googles and your Facebooks and all these companies that have lawyers, uh, I'm sure a legal team that's sizable, that they're going to get hit, uh, but they'll be able to respond accordingly. It'd be more interesting to see the governments and the the smaller state and local regional governments with the same type of data also respond to these requests and potentially not have the, the infrastructure, the group or the people, the personnel to be able to handle those requests. Agreed, 100%. So that Belgian family that sped through uh, Shoe Fly and got a ticket, <laughs> they're now in the municipality's database? It's going to be a problem, isn't it? Yes, like, exactly. How many people know where Shoe Fly is, Justin? <laughs> I know where it is. I do, too. I live on the side. I grew up near it. That's right. Shoe Fly, look it up. Right. I think Juan's on to something, though. I mean, he's... It, it, what we're really going after these days is social responsibility. It's changed. If you think about over the course of time, Juan mentioned socks, Sarbanes-Oxley, right? And then there's PCI. Back then, it was just, hey, we collect this data. And so what do we need to do about that piece? But all of a sudden, data's exploded, right? And it's not just this data or this piece or this piece. It's putting it all together and stitching it all together, which is very easy these days. And what's inherently happened is companies end up sitting on a ton of information, most of the time not even knowing what it is. And one of the big things that GDPR calls out is they really want you to get to a point that you have a reason, a rhyme or reason, for exactly what you're collecting, why, right, and when you're going to use it, and to Juan's point. And at that point, you have to have a way of expunging it and say, okay, we've used it, we're done with it. What you can't do is say, oh, we didn't even know we were collecting it, right, because then you get what I like to call zucked, right? (laughs) You can't say. That's a good term. Right. Well, you know, as we saw, unfortunately, uh, the statement that was in front of Congress, you can no longer say, well, I didn't know I was collecting it or I didn't realize that, you know, we had that data in our arsenal. We didn't see ourselves as that type of company. That's irrelevant. It's the fact yeah. that you collected it. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's GDPR is introducing a lot of challenges, which some companies are basically throwing up their hands and saying, we're not going to do business in Europe anymore because it's just going to cost us too much. And it's also presenting opportunities for companies like us that know how to navigate that sort of thing due to you guys' good work. So um, it's going to provide a lot of different changing landscapes. But what does this do for data in terms of it being a currency? 
Because before it was just like you could sell data and it was just like, hey, I, I got all this cool stuff. Buy it for me. What does it do to that? So I think I think it was The Economist. I think that one of the writers for The Economist said uh, data is the new oil. Yes. I, 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 the Economist. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I would take that a step back because with oil you have a very uh, – Define process to refine it and get value out of it. I think data is more like land, and not all land is the same, and you're not going to get the same value out of all land. We have a ton of crazy cat pictures out on the internet, <laughs> and you're going to have a hard time convincing me that those cat pictures are worth as much as your financial records within your your company, right? What happens to the European cats in the GDPR? I, <laughs> They're Those not, cats are covered. Not <laughs> I'm not sure if cats are individuals in in the EU, but uh, anyway, so I'm sure they are. <laughs> Only in Luxembourg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but really, it's it's okay. So you have this land, and what are you doing to maintain it? What are we? What are you doing to keep it? Why do you, Why do you have it? Uh, I think everything that Andre said is cor- is absolutely correct. It's that you have to have a purpose for it, and so like those crazy cat pictures, we are. We are digital hoarders. I fundamentally think we're keeping way too much uh, already. And so, again, if now the if data were cats, keeping along with the analogy, uh, we'd be crazy cat people. We'd have yep. too many cats within our house. We probably have some sort of cat disease. Um, and so this is the rigor of GDPR is going to force you to yep. say what and why uh, am I keeping this data around for? And potentially – you you're going to have to figure out where, why you're getting rid of it. And uh, again, it goes back to, I think, a lot, defining your data privacy uh, policy. And mm-hmm. I think the regulators are going to go look and see yep. and start reading. Why are you, you know, are you, what information are you collecting? And making sure if you're collecting any extra, that's where they're going to probably knock you off a couple points, right? It's, it's really about understanding and being very clear. Hey, I am collecting all this data, yep. and he, here's where I say I'm collecting all this data. So essentially, it's a basically the allowing the consumer to opt in or opt out as needed. And when they opt out, they truly are opted out, You know, kind of like un, not like our do not call registry here in the States, right. <laughs> where you put your name right. on it and you still get called. Yeah. yeah, for so long, I don't think people realized what they were opting into, right? And if they did, then they wouldn't have opted in in the first place. And I think that's where this comes from, right? This inherent... Uh, you know, mantra that we have of hoarding, as Don, as Juan said, in terms of all this data, most most people who pump gas have no idea how much other information the BP or the Amcos of the world or Shell have on them. All they thought they were doing is pumping gas, right, and putting a credit card, and that was it. Not looking at retail analytics because you're at the pump and you happen to pull something up, et cetera, et cetera, right. I like how you called him Don. It was like a slip, <laughs> well, like a Freudian slip. <laughs> Don Juan, you know, Don Juan, the you know. Don, Don Mojica. <laughs> That's right. I bring you tribute. <laughs> this on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, so yeah, so things like uh, like Internet of Things, which is exploding now, yep. and taking people's data and their locations, yep. you know, things yep. like you know going to the grocery store and getting a, a coupon pop up on your phone because yep. you happen to be on the candy aisle, right? Exactly right. That stuff is going to have to change a little bit. Yeah, well, and it goes back – so you asked a question about the currency. I think the other part of this is because you have something like a legislation, right? It's one of those things. For a long time, those of us in the know, Juan, Dan, everybody in this room, we understand security. We understand it at some level. We realize things because we look at it out of a different lens. But until you do something about it, like put some legalese around it, people are going to do whatever they do because there's no consequence, right? And so when you say the currency, before you could take that data and it didn't matter if your partner needed it or, you know, every now and then you would see this thing that says, do you mind if we share your data? And the reality is 
most of us knew it doesn't really matter if you say yes or no. They've already done that. And so now when you have something like GDPR, there's legalese. And a company, not only are they mindful now what they have, but when their third parties are like, well, we normally take that data and we do this, they're like, uh, no, because that all comes back to me and I have to be accountable for that. So therefore, as far as selling data, so to speak, or getting off of it, now that there's this legalese and the ability to get sued and all this other stuff over it, I think that's going to change a lot of what you see now as well. So, Might be part of the reason why. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons why Cambridge Analytica said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to shut down. That's exactly right. right. We may reopen as another company. Uh, yeah. I mean, an entire industry... Uh, there's an entire industry of moving data, selling, reselling data yep. that is going to be gone. It just it yep. can't operate. It, yep. it can't exist anymore based on that legislation. The legalese. Man. They'll, they'll go underground. That's right. Well, I mean, I think it's a good analogy is a shampoo bottle. So, you know, there's instructions in the shampoo bottle, right? Well, I don't you, have much hair. The reason why – well, yeah, well, you don't. But <laughs> for us that have hair, like Dan. Um, so – the shampoo bottle has instructions because somebody probably poured that stuff into their eyes that's and they right. think, that's okay, right. we better put instructions on this. There's somebody out there that's, that's going right. to do that. Yep. That is the internet, yep. right? It was a wide, a wild west for a while now, yep. and we've shown what we can do with that, and it's not all good. So yeah. <laughs> now it's time to reel it in a little bit, get some regulations out there, make sure that people have some rights because right now it's just – you don't have any rights. It's yep. just they can take whatever they want. Yep. Yeah, and I think so. The where we see that manifest, and I think when you start seeing all this legislation, what it really comes back to is protecting the people, right? Because there's nothing more help, helpless. If you've ever talked to anybody who's had anything happen with uh, identity theft, it's one of the most hopeful things you'll uh, help helpless things you will ever see somebody go through, because it's like it happened, and I couldn't do anything about it other than file this new paperwork to do this, to file this, to do this, inconvenienced in the meantime, and you really had no control. Right. This gives control to the people to some extent, and it makes us accountable as companies. Yeah. And I love the phrase, the dark web. Yeah. The dark web. <laughs> the dark web. Which is just. I love the, the commercials internet. that talk about the dark yeah, web. Exactly. We're going to protect you from the dark web. Yeah. Buy we, our new product. Yeah. yeah. Which is the onion rotor. We, we, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We it just plug in into a different internet than that, you. Yeah. That's the a dark A more one. secure internet. <laughs> decentralized internet. <laughs> that was created by the U.S. government. There you go. <laughs> We're going to call it DARPA. <laughs> anyway, um, so as far as breaches go, I mean, what's the latest breach that has occurred? And you know, what, what does that remind you of every time that happens? Well, I don't know that we want to put all the people's names out there. Most we of the, just go with most the, gen- the famous generics. ones we, we, we know. So the question is, so here's the irony. Customers ask all the time, right? You know, we know breaches happen all the time. Like, yeah, the problem is the world sees the ones that are announced. There's so many others that are happening every single day that we're dealing with. Well, we a lot of the ones that got announced recently have been happening. They happened years ago. And, well, and that's right? the thing that we talk to in the briefing <laughs> right. center a lot. It's like the, the, the biggest shock to me when we talk about breaches is not that it happened or even that we finally announced it, it's when you start backtracking. Because the first thing that says, oh, we saw this breach and it happened at, you know, May of 2017. And then, you know, seven months later, it's like, oh, it's February 2017. Then all of a sudden, eight months later, it was like, well, no, it was since 2014. The reality is once you start digging into it, that's when you realize just how far back these things go because we haven't done our due diligence, right, in terms of companies and just doing what they need to do. Does GDPR kind of regulate that as well, like if you don't d- disclose a breach? Correct. So, <clears throat> there you go, yeah. Yeah, so you have uh, – if there is personal data that was exposed that wasn't you know, encrypted and that went out there, you not only 
have to notify the auditors within 72 hours, but then you also have to do the process of notifying each individual that their yep. data was exposed on their internet. And then you're probably going to get fined. Uh, and they're not just fines. They are massive yeah. fines. Like, they're not playing yeah. with the fines. They, they're, they're big. It's kind of like Canadian speeding laws. <laughs> you ever, do you ever see those signs on the highway? No. So I was driving from Toronto to Waterloo, and they have signs on the uh, billboards. They tell you if you speed, it's like $2,000 fine. <laughs> <laughs> Gets your attention, though, doesn't it? It does. You're like, whoa, I'm going to slow down now, right? But this that's GDPR in a nutshell, what, what's going to happen if you violate the regulations. But I think the other thing that GDPR has done is it's starting to change, not just for their regulations. It's starting to change what everybody else does. In other words, when you realize that this is that severe – other companies, other businesses are also taking note of, well, what do we need to be doing? How do we need to be on our P's and Q's? Because clearly this is important enough that the world is taking shape. To Juan's point, you're talking about dealing with a framework. It's no longer, and that's how we talk to our customers about it. It's not this, well, we'll do this for PCI, we'll do this for GDPR. Like Something new is around the corner, and it's going to continue to happen. So you shouldn't have to retrofit every single time. You should have this framework where you realize, well, we're doing these 92% already. Now we just need to augment by adding this component to our framework. It's just a matter of time before the states pick something up similar. I mean, yep. we're going to have to, considering yep. all that's gone down here. So with that in mind, you mentioned you know people having to think about what they have to do. So what do they have to do? What sort of best practices would you recommend as a general you know best practice for adhering to GDPR and also securing your overall environment? Like just give me some some basics. There's only nine nine articles to work from. So. <laughs> Go ahead, Juan. So no, I mean it starts with it starts with data governance. Uh, it really starts with defining your policies. It starts with working with your legal team as to where you believe you have exposure, what kind of data you have. And then as you transition to what kind of data you have, you have to understand where is it coming from, where is it going to, and how am I using it. Then after that, you get your flow of your data. You know, this is European citizen data. This is data that I don't know. This is structured. This is unstructured. After you do that, then how am I managing it? All right. How am I actually implementing? Uh, and this is where our storage systems shine, right? How am I managing? How am I cloning stuff? How am I moving stuff around? How am I protecting it, making sure that it's available when it's needed? And then there's a portion of, okay, now I'm managing it. How do I apply uh, protection? Uh, so, again, uh, snap mirror, stuff like that, the replication portion. Yep. How am I encrypting it? How, do, how am I allowing access to it, right, on my shares? Does everybody have full right access? Do I have just a limited set of permissions? Am I using uh, NFSV4 with uh, Kerberos? Uh, and then, then the last portion is, okay, what – uh, tools do I have to respond to auditors? How am I responding to their to their requests? So you look at uh, audit logs. Audit logs are, you know, people say it's the lowest common denominator, but that shows that you did your due diligence and you're following that first, the very first bucket that of your policies. Hey, I, I followed my policies and here's the log showing that I, I did do what I said I did. And then the, really the, the hardest thing and the only way this scales is more of like a kind of a service now kind of approach where and this is the part that I think uh, there's opportunities for companies out there potentially or this is where you could shine is a self-service kind of portal for users making requests for GDPR. I think fundamentally that's the only way this scales <laughs> yep. once you identify where all the data is and who's uh, what European citizen data that you have or hey you treat everybody like a European citizen and they make a request you kind of give them a self-service portal. Otherwise, you're going to be answering individual emails, you know, over and over again for this kind of stuff, which is 
you know, it is one way of doing it. And if you don't have the expertise or you want to spend time on, on the beginning part, that makes sense. But at the end of the day, you do have to respond to those requests and uh, figure out how you're going to make that uh, as efficient as possible. Yeah. And as part of the data governance piece, I mean, understanding the laws and knowing where you're exposed <coughs> is, is a big part of that. So that said, I mean, if, if I'm trying to use the cloud, so yeah, who, who's, perfect. who's liable there? Am I liable because I put it in the cloud or is the, <laughs> the cloud provider liable? I love this. So let, let's just get this one out of the way because everybody continues to go circle around this. At the end of the day, it's your data. You're always responsible. I, I hear I read an article not long ago. I've talked to these guys about it before where I saw an article and people say, oh, the cloud's making us all more secure. We're, we're all being more secure because we're using the cloud. That's bull. <laughs> the reality is the cloud doesn't inherently make any of us more secure. And if you actually look at the cloud providers, every single one of them has what's called a shared responsibility model. And what, does that, what it dictates is based on what kind of service you're using, platform, you know, software as a service, et cetera, it dictates at what level the responsibility and what, com- what components or technologies the responsibility is shared with the provider. Notice what I said, what levels of technology and responsibility, but not your data. I always use the analogy of it's like your kid. If my kid goes and spends the night with a neighbor, my kid is still my responsibility. Everybody likes to say, well, now it's your responsibility, whether I drop them off at school or whatever. If you do something at school, guess what? They still call you. You do something at the neighbor's house, they still call you because that's your baby, that's your data. Now, do they have smoke alarms at work? Do the doors have locks on them, et cetera? Now, that's the neighbor's responsibility, right? Is the school doing what they're supposed to do around the school itself? But the data, which is the child that you send, is still your responsibility no matter what, and I don't ever see that changing, right? Right. So with GDPR, there's concepts of a data controller and a data processor. Yes. And so what Andre is saying is that you're the data controller Always. and you're responsible for that. Yeah. And now there's also requirements that you need to impose on anybody that you ha- hand that data off to. Yeah. And so to, uh, to Andre's point, what the, the hyperscalers are doing, what all these cloud platforms are doing, is making sure that their, their, their infrastructure is as secure as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's where they draw the line. Yeah. And then everything else that you do on top of that, that's your that's right. kit and caboodle. It's not necessarily uh, any more secure or any less secure than anybody else. You got to figure out what you're going to do with that. And so a, a strategy, kind of a cloud strategy, is how can you leverage as many of the services that those hyperscalers yeah. provide and push that secure requirement down towards them. And and then there's also the portion of, um, you know, the cloud and the availability of the cloud, you know, it's not what it is. And so there's a whole, I think, architecture paradigm. And somebody, uh, I forgot the session, uh, I attended RSA this year, and somebody on the RSA session uh, had an RSA session that was phenomenal about cloud security. And I completely wholeheartedly agree. I'm not taking credit for coming up with any of this. Um, and I think it's out there on the internet. But really, the, the fundamental principle dark web. the dark web. The dark web. <laughs> the dark web. Uh, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> but really, along the lines of, first of all, their, their infrastructure is secure. Whatever you put on top of it, you that's on you. Drive, Try to drive and leverage as many pieces as you can of that infrastructure as possible to secure your services. And then also plan, uh, architect for failure because the cloud will have availability issues. And I think people are fundamentally building their data – have fundamentally built their data centers on making sure the uptime is – you know, we publish our however many nines we have out there. Uh, incredible number of nines, the best nines. I think they're the greatest nines. <laughs> the most nines. The most nines <laughs> of any. <laughs> and I'm doing the hands too. Nobody can see it. This is a podcast. He is. <laughs> doing the hands. But um, 
but uh, the cloud is different. And good luck trying to get uh, you know one of these hyperscalers to agree to your service level agreement, right. right? And so architect for failure and make sure that that those portions respond accordingly, and then go from from there. But it was a phenomenal. I think it was one of the best sessions that I attended at RSA uh, this year. I think the trend that we're seeing is, and we clearly know it probably more than anybody and that's the fact that data is everywhere and it's continuing to go everywhere in every crevice and so one of the big challenges with that is when I go to the cloud how do I control where my data goes I think honestly that's almost an irrelevant point because the reality is you cannot control it even when we dictate it can go here it can go here yeah but where here where is here and where you know in other words they have to these these cloud scalers these hyperscalers they're obviously architected for availability and so there's going to be moments where something's going to fail and not in the direction that they preferred, so it has to go somewhere else. And your data may go along with it. And we notice this a lot in subpoenas. We're starting to see subpoenas for data, you know, for data with these cloud providers. Well, what happens? So I always tell people, imagine it this way, right? And this is the worst case scenario. If the cloud provider comes to you tomorrow and says, hey, we have to subpoena this data, not only do you have to turn over this data, the cloud provider's already done it for you, but we can't have you use that data or reference that data for the next six months can your business stand to survive? And so to your point earlier in the show, and, and Juan's point as well, everybody thinks that, oh, well, we're just going to watch and see what Amazon does when you know GDPR hits. or all that. They're deep, right? Not just with money, but resources, people, legalese, all that stuff. They can fight through it. It's the small to medium businesses that need to be paying attention because they don't have those resources. They don't have those options. They don't have the options of sustainability for six months of not being able to use data. So the other part of that is there's encryption all over the portfolio. And as a security person, that's the only way you're going to survive moving forward. Everything you've noticed when we talk about security is around encryption. When you can't control where your kid goes, the best thing you can do is protect your kid so that when you're not there, they still have the protections around them. That's what encryption is all about. So no matter where your data lives, resides, migrates, cloud here, cloud there, but you want to make sure that even in and above, in and above the providers, you're doing what you can to secure or encrypt that data. Allow me to put my marketing hat on now. Sweet. So you talked about subpoenaing data and yep. not being able to use it. Well, we have things like SnapLock and Legal Hold. That's right. Which allows you to replicate data to another site. That's right. So they can subpoena the data on the other site. There you go. And you can continue to operate your business. Yeah. You also have NPS. Marketing hat off. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned data being like land. Yeah. I would posit that data is more like sand. Oh boy. So, oh so boy. when you go to the beach, it's everywhere. It's in your pants, your shorts. <laughs> And when you get home, it's in your, your chairs, and you're always dumping out sand. You're always finding new sand. And that, that is, that's data in a nutshell. But there's uh, – Sand is a type of land, though. Yeah, sand uh, – <laughs> I don't yeah, – exactly. It is. It's, but it's, it's, per, it's pretty valuable real estate, actually. That, the it sand is. Stuff also. Yeah, but, it, but yeah, not all – like, you have some, some land next to dumps. I'm, I'm just going to say <laughs> – not not the best land. Not well, the greatest I mean, land. It's the best land. We could do better. We, it's wetland. <laughs> it's the wetlands. It's Florida wetlands. I'll sell you some Florida wetlands. But no, I mean, like, it's, you know, the idea of data being everywhere and, and yep. you have to know where it is. Yep. You know, it's, that was Tawan's initial point, yeah. right? Visibility is everything. As a security person, we've, we've preached that for years. Visibility, visibility, visibility. It's no different when it comes to data. The biggest challenge is you can ask every customer one question. Like, you know, Don Juan is telling you about, you know. <laughs> Don Mojica. That's right. The, the data custodians, the owners, and all the other stuff. But they all have to answer the same question, right? Tawan's first point. Where does your data live? Do you even know where it lives? Here's the reality. You didn't know where your data lived when we had it in your own data center, in our intranets and WANs. 
Now we have the cloud. How are you doing better now? You're not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so we have, you know, so, so the other part of that is we have partnerships, right? GDPR's opened up a whole new door of partnerships to Juan's point. There's a lot of businesses that are coming up about this. But that's one of the first things that we do when we partner. We're looking at partners, you know, we've taught Veronis and a bunch of others, but the reality is we're building a partner ecosystem that can help us with that, that can help our customers say, how do I understand where my data is? How do I understand not just where it is, but who has access to it, when, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then we can start putting the provisions and applying the frameworks and things that Ned Juan's been talking about. Yeah, no no company out there should be saying, I'm going to sell you a GDPR-compliant product. Uh, yep. Run away. Scare they, they, they will say it. Uh, that's right. Uh, it, They're probably selling it at like 3 a.m. on like uh, <laughs> on the dark li- on Lifetime. For four easy payments. <laughs> Call 1-900-GDPR. <laughs> Continue. They still use 900 numbers? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. No, no. Yeah, and it's really, it really revolves around the holistic process and really revolves around also just defining uh, everything that Andre said, an ecosystem and defining who has access to what. Yeah. Um, and that's outside of the scope of, you know, a single product. So It's a solution. It's an ecosystem. That's it. And you better be ready to manage it because it's now. <laughs> <laughs> you had your chance to get ready. Yeah. No. Technically, we're in the grace period. Uh, in the, oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what well, it is. Oh, you didn't mention there was a grace period. Yeah. Now I can procrastinate even longer. How long do I have to procrastinate? <laughs> no, this is the but grace period. we've been in the grace period. We, oh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I can't file for an extension like my taxes? <laughs> yeah. The door is closing. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. That's oh, right. Man. The lock is about to be on. Cat pictures. I got to get rid of them. Yeah. Find you some I, land. I got a lot of Euro cat pictures. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else that we want to cover here, guys? Uh, am I going to get a intro song for this for this podcast? I've been asking for an intro song, kind of like Hulk Hogan or, you know. Yeah, well, he's the mob now. He's like Don Juan. We need some <laughs> 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 All right, I'll take it. <laughs> I think the one thing I'll add is, you, you know, you asked about kind of what's, what's up and coming. What, what threats are we seeing? And so the interesting thing that we're seeing now in 2017 moved to 2018, now 2018 moving towards the end of the year is there's not a lot of new things per se. Everybody's like, oh, what's the, new, the next threat? Well, they don't have to. One of the things that we've always seen with the folks with, you know, the black hat, so to speak, the bad actors, is they're very efficient. They don't spend time spinning up cycles on things when they don't need to. And so what we're seeing is they're changing vectors, but using a lot of the same threats. And so what you'll notice, think about it, these breaches, vulnerabilities, these are all the rage. They're all based on vulnerabilities, most of the time known, right? Not patched, right? We've we've been preaching patching for till we're beyond colors in the face, right? But it's still not happening, right? So people still got to do it. People think it's it's optional, but as you can see, it's the stakes are getting higher and higher. GDPR, it dovetails into all of this just like everything else, right? So what we're seeing is the vectors change. You mentioned IoT. That's probably the biggest vector that we continue to see other than email, right? Email continues to reign supreme. But then you have IoT, and we have new things coming out every day, right? And so the things that people overlook, what else is IoT? I have Alexa sitting on my counter, and I'm always looking like, is she listening or not? Because I don't care if that blue line shows up or not. I'm surprised you have Alexa. Oh, well, first of all. Because you don't even have social media. Exactly. So. I don't do social media. So, so get this. Like, when you look at it, and it's like, oh, there's a mute function, there's this. Alexa can listen even when I saw her on mute before. I'm like, hold on. How did you update my shopping yeah. list? If you're like, you got to question these things. But So the reality is this Internet of Things, it's changing a lot of things. It's not just, hey, here's a new sensor, here's a new thing. It's the things that people aren't thinking about, right? These new plugins and these, you know, smart widgets and stuff from my blinds and my microwave and being able to do all these sensors, they're all full of features and convenience. But what they're not full of is security at all. And most of them aren't even provisioned to a point that if they had to patch it, it could support it. 
You know, so those are the things that become uh, they open the threat landscape. They they provide a lot of weaknesses. And then there's a lot of people who say, well, if I don't have them in my house, it's not a big deal. Well, again, it all talks to this dark web thing, right? Right. The Internet. So dark web. We're all exposed. Every exposure becomes everybody else's exposure. So it's just one of those things to be mindful of. The vectors are changing, um, but a lot of the threats are still there. Ransomware is still top of mind. You know, snapshot, snapshot, snapshot. How many times do we have to say that? You're going to yep. get hit. Yep. F policy, F policy, F policy. You got to remediate, right? Yep. You're going to get hit. Echoing here. Echo, right. echo, echo, echo. So, yeah. so, I mean, to uh, everything that Andre's saying, it's figuring out where you're going to invest and how you're going to invest. Right. Uh, yeah. So you have two options, ultimately, always with uh, what, what you're talking about is risk management. Yeah. Uh, and, Absolutely. And so you have the ability to buy insurance or buy a solution. And so if you have a one-time unlikely event, you potentially insure that versus something that you're going to get hit up, uh, like uh, Andre saying repeatedly. You want to buy a solution in that place, yeah. and really, there's um, there's a framework, the the fair risk and fair F A I R framework that I think it, people are uh, can use to basically quantify and kind of qualify where they should be making investments, uh, and it really is about understanding what is the risk. The risk is you walk towards the end, basically, of where you end up. You, you don't start with a technology. Hey, I'm buying a firewall. Yeah. Hey, I'm buying. You know, the, you know, that's buying a firewall is not a strategy. Buying right. this, uh, buying a certain product is not a strategy. It's really my risk is I lose all my data, or my risk is all my public, all, all my personal information ends up on the web, and then you figure out, all right, that is the risk. What controls do I have in place to remediate that risk, right? And then you end up uh, subtracting some risk out of there and you basically come up with residual risk. And then you put a monetary amount to that uh, to that overall thing. So it, it, I keep minimal amount of personal data. Okay, so – but I have a high risk of this. So it's com- combining not only the, the risk – event, but also with the amount of actual value that thing yeah. has. And then you can say, okay, well, technically, the, this is not that important as far as cost to me at the end of the day, if I need to prioritize where I'm going to spend my dollars. Right. This is uh, a risk analysis. Absolutely. We, I think, as security industry need to do a better job as CIOs or CSOs, everybody needs to do a better job. And that's something that I think uh, – going forward is going to get better in general. Um, but it's also just thinking about things differently. It's not the strategy is not a firewall because yeah. today, what is what it what it like Andre said, where is your data? It's you, you build your moat. Well, your moat, your moat's irrelevant now that everybody has flying cars, right? Right. It's basically. Mm, good point. Yeah, exactly. I like that analogy. <laughs> so we're all Jetsoning right now. That's so. right. It's a Jetsoning. <laughs> That's right. Is that a verb? Jetsoning, flotsam and jetsoning. Meet George Jetson. There's your outro right there. Exactly. So so you need to sell your Alexa and get a cat and name it Alexa (laughs) to minimize your risk. That would be infinitely more useless. (laughs) (laughs) And more sand. Alexa, buy more litter. No. Stop. No, you're – no. Anyway. All right, there you have it. Uh, We talked a lot about GDPR, security updates, and enhancements in ONTAP 9.4 with the security team. Um. I'd like to thank Juan Mojica, Dan Tullidge, and Andre Middleton for joining us today. Uh, Juan, if people wanted to reach you on social media, other than badabing.net, where could they find you? I have no idea what that site has or does. Uh, put that disclaimer Do not there. look at it at work. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know for sure. But anyway, go ahead. So I'm on Twitter, and everything uh, that I post or my blog as well can be get- gathered through that Twitter handle. So it's 
Juan, J-U-A-N underscore M underscore Mojica, M-O-J-I-C-A. And just just follow me there. All right. And Dan Tullidge, where can we find you on social media? On Twitter as well, Dan underscore Tullidge. That's tall as in Jethro and the word edge. Oh, he's got the tall edge. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And Andre, where can we find you on Alexa? <laughs> Mine's easy. Just email me, man. Andre e- yep. at NetApp. Simple enough. There you go. Most secure method of communication. <laughs> That's your right. Work email. Where all the phishing happens. <laughs> <laughs> it does, but it, sometimes it's from our own IT department. Yes, it is. Gotcha. Yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing. Yes, I want to look at everybody's pay information. Yes, <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> of course. Wait a minute. Boy. This was a trick to get me fired. <laughs> I didn't bite on that one. Thanks, <laughs> IT. <laughs> I send them. I like. I'll, I'll just basically forward the emails to the infosec, and they just they're surprised. They're like, "Wow, you actually did it." <laughs> I've had some fishy looking ones. They're like, "I don't know. Why don't you click on it?" I'm like, "What are you talking?" <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they're they're trying to entrap you. The nice. the weeding you out from PM didn't work. <laughs> now we're trying to just get you flat out fired. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, option three we didn't talk about for securing your environment is basically ignore it. And then work on your resume updating machine. <laughs> that just basically automatically updates your resume every time you you get a new job. So well, that's that's the problem, right? What's the difference between perfect security and no security if you don't have a breach or if you don't get attacked? Is this a joke or is this <laughs> no? That that, where, that the is it's a reality. It is, that is, <laughs> That is, it's, it's a rhetorical question with a big, a harsh reality. Yeah, because there are a lot of reality. people who don't do it, right? No. There, there's acceptable risk, but there's certain things that you don't accept. Mm-hmm. So where's the line? And yeah. if you don't, you know, draw it, it'll be drawn for you. Yeah. So, response. I'm glad you said that. That's the last thing I can leave with. No matter who you are and what you do as a company these days, start figuring out what your response is. It's not a matter of if; it's a when, and you got to know how to respond. We have clearly seen the examples of how not to respond to <laughs> every time. And everything I've never seen a good response to this. Yeah, to so, be honest, yeah, it's, it's always been wait two years and then say, "Oops, we're sorry." Yeah, it, that's no longer going to be uh, anywhere near acceptable. I mm-hmm. think that's what we're seeing with GDPR and a lot of other regulations that are sure to come. So, our bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Juan Mojica, Andre Middleton, and Dan Tullich for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.